What's up, Mentors Collective? If you are watching this episode and you happen to be a financial advisor or somebody in an industry that wants to market and has some red tape, this is going to be a great episode for you because in this specific episode, we're going to be discussing some marketing strategies that you can use within your company, within your industry that will actually work. And to touch on this topic, I have a guest that's going to be joining me today. Joseph Gizzi is a businessman coach entrepreneur, author, and he's focused on helping businesses learn sales and marketing techniques to help them gain exposure through digital marketing and automated systems. Now, he works with financial advisors and small businesses to build their pipelines and structure their marketing. It also helps individual investors through his content to understand the financial industry without all the jargon that they get bombarded with every single day. I'm super excited to touch on this topic with you, Joseph. Thank you for spending some time with me. Welcome to Mentors Collective. Yeah, Jay, thanks for having me. I appreciate being here. Sure thing. And I actually run a marketing agency myself. We work with several financial advisors, several institutions, and I know firsthand that there's a lot of red tape and they have to really be careful with the marketing tactics and strategies that they and that they go through, if at all. A lot of them avoid it completely. So I'm excited to to dive into this topic with you. Uh, so Joseph, why don't you start off by telling me a little bit, you know, about yourself, about your company? How how did you get into this industry? Yeah. Um, I, so I, I tried to avoid this industry like the plague, actually. You probably weren't going to, you didn't expect to hear that from me. Um, so my father was a financial advisor. He started back in 1986 uh, in our basement. I remember I, I tell this, I used to tell this story at some of the dinner seminars I used to do. And any financial advisor on this podcast listening in, they probably do seminars and dinner seminars as well. So they understand. But uh, it was two filing cabinets, a piece of plywood, a, a really old computer and a telephone. That's how he started in our basement. And uh, I wasn't quite sure what he did. Um, so I, I didn't really get into finance. I thought he was just a stockbroker or something like that. I didn't know he was actually an advisor to people with their retirement. But I ended up uh, kind of going my own path. I've, I've been a serial entrepreneur my entire life. I ended up leaving for California back in 2006. And uh, to many people, they thought I was going to be a um, an actor, or that's what I was going to go out there to do. But as an entrepreneur, I decided to start a production company instead. So <laughs> I started a production company. Uh, there was this little website called MySpace, if you recall. Uh, our generation knows it. I was on that. And uh, yeah. <laughs> and so I started a, a similar type um, community online for actors, models, musicians. And I remember when MySpace had about 40,000 members, something like that. And I had close to 4,000 people on my site. And um, I was going around putting flyers on people's cars and mailboxes. I was waking up really early in the morning on Craigslist, posting you know, ads saying, hey, check out our website, join our community. No clue what I was doing, no clue how to monetize it. Uh, but I ended up uh, having a cease and desist letter from one of the big agencies in town because um, we were getting so much traction and we were posting like, we're actors can go get auditions for free and they would charge a lot of money for that. So they didn't like that. And I was 26 living on my buddy's couch, basically eating, you know, from the dollar store, only affording $5 a week for food. I couldn't fight a, a case. So I ended up, <laughs> ended up closing shop, um, ended up in consumer products. I was with Anheuser-Busch for a while, market or uh, monster energy, which really taught me a lot about sales, marketing, distribution, um, how to build a product, how to build a brand. That was an interesting time um, being part of that group, have a lot of friends still in that business. And then dabbled with a couple other businesses, been with some st small startups. 
And then I eventually just got to the point where um, I called my dad and I was just like, you know what? I've been traveling around. Um, you know, I enjoyed this lifestyle out in California. I said, you, you've been at all of our hockey games and baseball games and soccer games as kids. And you took us on some vacations and you get to work from home. So what is it you actually do? And that's when I decided I wanted to become a financial advisor, you know, and I didn't think I was going to join my dad's firm because I always wanted to do my own thing. But what was cool about it was that I was still independent. I was still on my own. I was still going to build my own book of business. And I started building a book business out in, uh, uh, just on the outskirts of, of Los Angeles, out in uh, Westlake Village, California, um, and started to, to just do that. Over time, uh, we, we were just kind of a unique firm where we had these, these strategies. And so some other advisors started joining our firm. And I started building this infrastructure of a firm. And pre-COVID, I, I got to the point where I was doing so many dinner seminars at the steakhouse and spending all this money. I was like, there has to be a better way. Like there has to be a way where I can do this, you know, all mine. And so my thought process was, what can I do where, you know, I can automate some of these marketing processes and how do I just do things digitally and how do I just start meeting people over, you know, a webcam zoom wasn't around yet. Uh, how do I just start doing that? So when I wake up in the morning, I grab a cup of coffee, I come down, I turn on my computer and maybe I have a new client. Like how do I, how do I automate the system? And at the time I couldn't really think of a good program out there. And I wanted to put some type of auto investing program together. And there was Betterment, there's Wealthfront. Those are two really big firms. And, and those really came to like head to head with the financial community because advisors don't really like robo advisors. It's kind of a dirty word in our industry. Of I was like, I wonder if I can make this so it would be like a friend to an advisor and, and we could actually use it as a funnel to get new clients. Like I understand marketing systems. I understand different funnel systems and different routes of in, streams of income and how that can go in. And I, I've learned that from, you know, other companies that I've worked with. So I created Tactive as a, really it was a, it's a lead gen system for advisors. If it's a robo platform that they can use to funnel new clients in to get a, a smaller buy-in, um, where they're not managing like their entire portfolio, but at least they get a little bit of it just to kind of start. And then they can start the relationship. And then now they can talk to them about other, you know, um, sales or, or other other products that they want to talk to or full financial plan, all that fun stuff. So Tactive started just uh, a few years ago back in, it really started pre-COVID, but it, I just started taking off during COVID. Didn't have really anybody on the platform at the time. A um, couple of advisors started calling me up saying, Hey, it sounds really cool. How do I get involved? One thing led to another. We, we ended up winning uh, a couple awards. Uh, we've actually been named wealth tech top 100 uh, for the last three years in a war in a row. Um, wealth management industry awards has named us uh, back in 2021 best new platform for a digital robo. Um, so we, we got some traction pretty, pretty quickly. And so what I started focusing my attention on was, okay, now that we have kind of these systems that we've put in place and we're still, you know, always improving upon those today, like, you know, we're, we're constantly expanding what we're doing, but now what's the next frontier. Now that I got the actual, I got the, the, how to connect people. Now it's the, or, or I'm sorry, the mechanism to connect people. Now it's the, how do we connect people? And that's when I started focusing my attention and, and just kind of digging into the background from some of the marketing stuff I learned in the past and said, let's, let's start figuring out how to really market people in today's medium, which is what I started this whole company about in the first place. And advisors, as, as you mentioned right off the bat, a lot of red tape. 
Um, in fact, I think it was 2017, 2018. I can't remember the, the date when we finally were allowed to use social media. We weren't allowed to. So it was so taboo and you couldn't even have somebody leave a Yelp review. You had to turn all the comments off. So wow. it's still new for advisors on how to market. And it's like, it's not going to go away. You got to learn how to do digital marketing. You got to learn how to uh, do social media. You got to learn how to brand yourself. And so that's what I've really been focusing on with the advisors that are working with me at Tactive. And then I I wanted to expand that, um, which is why I wanted to start coaching other people that are kind of in the same sphere. Maybe they're insurance. Maybe they're even, uh, you know, an estate planner or a state attorney. Somebody else that that has had this you know problem with figuring out how do they bring on themselves, how do they actually do this marketing stuff? Um, but at least with Tactive, they have a mechanism to connect with the client a little bit more than, hey, just come in. I want to have a quick meeting with you because I think that system's broken, and I think there's a better way. And it's just sitting down with an advisor, kind of figuring them out, showing them that this is what actually works. It's not a flip of a switch you know, type mechanism, but it is a very big nurturing mechanism. And they all understand, you know, referral marketing because that's like the golden goose in the industry. And this is a way of getting referral marketing without asking for a referral. So that's kind of where I, I, you know, try to do that quick for you, but that's kind of where I come from and how I've gotten to where I am today and, and what I'm doing now. Yeah, I'm excited to hear a little bit about how that system works. But first, I'd love to ask a, a few questions about financial advising, the the industry as a whole. Uh, what are the majority of financial advisors currently doing to acquire clients and why is it broken? Yeah, that's that's the, the age old question. I, I would say, you know, the majority of them are probably doing seminars. Um, we we did a, anybody that was growing pre-COVID did seminars. They did them either at local libraries, uh, college and universities, or they did them at, at restaurants. So that was really the only way to grow your business without doing like direct mail. And that other industries do a lot of direct mail, but you did mailers in order to get people into the seminars. And that, that became very costly. And then what happened during COVID, it was really interesting because all this stuff I was already building and it, I, you know, The good thing about COVID is it kind of shifted the industry. The bad thing about COVID is it shifted the industry when I was trying to get ahead of everybody else, you know? So, (laughs) but then everybody started shifting to webinars online. And, and what I didn't like about that, or what I liked about it was at least they're starting on this new digital, you know, frontier. What I didn't like about it were, were all the companies that took advantage of the advisors and made them spend the same amount on digital as they were doing for dinner seminars. And it's the same companies. They they were the mail houses. They um, would charge, you know, an arm and a leg. And they'd say, well, we know that cost per lead or person that comes to your dinner is about 300 or 400 bucks a head. And so they would get you seats in your webinar and they'd still charge 300, 400 bucks for a seat in the webinar. And then I started doing things on my own for a fraction of that price, you know, to get people in the door. And I'm like, this is, this is lunacy. So yeah, they, they got them through workshop seminars in person um, maybe once they were big enough and that's, that's for somebody that was growing, once they're big enough, they could do some referral or, or client appreciation events to get some referral marketing, but you had to get to that level and you couldn't get to that level without doing some of these, uh, other things like seminars. Cool. So it definitely sounds inefficient. So correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like the way that they acquired clients in the past and a lot of them still probably do is get people under the same roof, whether that be a webinar or a dinner, a seminar, 
and they teach them some sort of financial literacy, wealth management, investing strategy with the goal of being, wow, that person knows what they're talking about. I trust them. I'd love to entrust them with my money. Does that sound right so far? Yeah. Not only is it super expensive, but it's, yeah. it's inefficient. I mean, a selling cycle for most advisors is over 90 days. Yeah. You know, and that's, and, and then you're, you're playing the law of, of numbers. And I was a big numbers guy. I knew exactly what percent of mailers I had to do, what converted to seats, how many people would actually show up to how many people booked an appointment to how many people would actually show up to the appointment to finally, how many people would become a client. And then you have a couple meetings with those people to trust you. And, and the thing that's really cool that, you know, um, you know, with, with what you do and what I do is if you, if you do digital correctly, you're building trust all along the way with all yeah. the different modes of, of uh, media you can produce online, they're getting that trust. And that's how I make purchase decisions for stuff that's outside of finance all the time. And, you know, other consumers are no different. Of course. Now, financial advisors, I, I kind of see them and I'm, I'm not in the industry, so I might be totally wrong in two different categories. There's like ones who are independent, not with a big agency. And then there's ones that typically work with these giant banks, giant financial consultant, consultancy agencies. And I know there's a lot of things that financial advisors legally can't say. And with the big agencies, they're a lot more restrictive on what their employees, those financial advisors can actually do. So walk me through the landscape of that industry. Does that ring any bells? Am I, am I hitting that correctly? And please fill in any gaps. Yeah, no, you, you well, you rang all my bells. So yeah, you're right. <laughs> um, you, you're right. There, there are two sides. You're either, you know, in the insurance world, it's called captured agent or independent. Um, in finance, you could be a captured W-2 employee. Um, you know, you might be with uh, the Merrill Lynch's and the Morgan Stanley's, the Edward Jones, um, or you're, you're completely independent. And that would be where somebody's, you know, like, uh, you know, tactive or, or Gissy advisors um, or, you know, Smith advisors down the street. And, and you're correct. There's a lot of compliance and regulation when you're running a big shop. Um, they don't want anybody just to go out there and, and destroy their name or their image. And, and they don't want to get into any legal trouble. And so they do restrict uh, the, what, you know, captured really means they're captured. They really are restricted and, and what they can and can't do. It doesn't mean that they, they can't do some of this stuff. It just means that they're restricted on it. So you just have to find more creative ways to do it. On the independent side, you know, you're a lot less restricted. I mean, you still have, you still have compliance oversight. Everybody has compliance oversight. And if you're the owner of the company, you are the compliance. So there, there's a lot that you have to oversee. Um, but at least you have the freedom to do a little bit more, be a little bit more creative. Um, you can justify what you're doing. I mean, obviously you don't want to do anything that's, that's misleading or misguided, but yeah, those two, those two worlds, they can both get there. I, I firmly believe they can get there. They just have to be creative on how they get there. What is, what is some of the red tape that financial advisors run into when they're thinking about doing any digital marketing? For example, maybe they can't run paid ads or they can't have a, a social media presence where they give financial advice. What, what are the, the do's and don'ts? Well, you definitely can't give financial advice, period. You, you just can't do it. And actually, That's you know, it's funny about this. financial advice, right? You can give kind of broader stuff or-, or you, you, really, you really can't, unless it's just general guidance about something or just general knowledge about something. That's about all you can do. And, and here's, here's the rub about this. And this is what I'm so adamant um, teaching financial advisors. I mean, financial advisors are getting their butts kicked right now to, to the people that have no financial licenses. 
there are experts out there that, that literally are not playing by the same rules and they're telling people exactly what to do with their money and they are getting, giving the worst advice, or maybe they're giving a, a, like that tip might be good for somebody in a specific situation, but it's not a blanket statement for everybody. So we're not even playing the same ball game as the rest of, of the digital world. And, and advisors really need to understand how they can overcome that because we can't, we can't sit there and say, we believe you should invest in this, or we believe you should use this product. Mm-hmm. We can talk about that product, talk to the, about the pros and cons. Those are some of the things you can do. Um, you know, people have questions about, do I need a Roth or a traditional IRA? Do I want an annuity? Do I want life insurance? All that stuff is good stuff for us to talk and at least engage the conversation and talk about like social security, talk about how to lower taxes, but you're not a tax expert. So you could talk in these generalities and give people good, solid information without saying this is what you need to do. Cause then there's going to be that person that's going to take that advice and it's completely wrong. It's like, being a doctor, right? So if you don't have all the information, you can't diagnose everybody, you know, especially if you're on stage and talking to them. So, you, you know, compliance, to me, compliance is fine and, and good for, for you because at least it keeps you in some guardrails, but it's also just best practices just to, to keep you out of that, that hot water. And, and I think we're going to see the SEC come down harder on these influencers that are giving advice or are giving bad advice. I mean, we started to see it with Tom Brady, Kim Kardashian, telling people to invest in, you know, obviously a crypto exchange that's really no longer around and, and starting to find them. We're going to see that happening, but we're still years behind playing the game in order to even keep up with those, you know, influencers who people are really paying attention to. They're paying attention to more influencers our age, Jay, than they are Warren Buffett. And not that I agree with everything Warren Buffett did. His stuff worked for him, you know, back when he made his wealth but they're, they're not listening to him. They're listening to somebody who had one or two years of a, a financial degree or, or maybe only one year in the industry. And I can just tell you from, from 13 years of experience, it took me, it took me some time before I, I've gone through all the real life scenarios and actually working with clients and understanding these different situations to really become a good financial planner, advisor, mentor for them. Uh, doing it only one or two years, you don't even have you haven't even seen enough people to really understand, you know, what they're, what you can talk to people about and do it, you know, intelligently. Yeah, I agree with you completely. And I was a a victim of following a lot of these financial experts on YouTube and that's where people are getting their information. Now they're going to YouTube and it's sexier to look at all these get rich quick schemes, all the doge coins and the crypto exchanges that people are using that all of these influencers are pushing uh, so that's why they're getting all these views instead of the Warren Buffetts who have pre- been preaching the same thing all of these all these years. You know, and, and a dollar cost into the S and P is not sexy. I think it right. takes losing a lot of your own money to realize the value of what a financial advisor does and the disvalue that a lot of these influencers are doing to the general public. But you're right; it's an interesting problem, and I think people need to learn with their own money uh, to not follow everything that these influencers say. Uh, and it was upon losing all my own money that I transferred uh, most of my assets to a financial advisor to manage. Uh, and yeah. it's been one of the best decisions mentally and financially that I've made in a long time. So if you're listening to this episode, my call to action right now is stop watching all the YOLO YouTube videos that are so-called financial advice. Uh, and you should find a, a financial advisor that you trust. But you're right. Interesting problem. 
Now let's yeah. talk about, cause it, it seems pretty obvious, you know, there's regulations, things that you can't say. So you probably can't market any specific thing or give any generalized advice, which makes it really hard to recruit people and, and spread your message to the internet, which is where other people are marketing. So where do you spread your message? Where do you get people to trust you on the internet? How do you do that? So I think the, the where is everywhere. The, the how is be yourself, be authentic. Um, that's something I've been doing recently. I actually jumped offline for, for a good portion of, of eight, eight, nine years. Mm -hmm. um, the only thing I had was a LinkedIn just for business sake. Um, but I, I recently jumped back in just to, to prove that all this works and also um, to help bail, build the brand. So my first thing I would say is the how is, is you got to build a brand yourself personally. You are a human being and people do business with other human beings. Yes. Um, I get that we have AI and all this other fun stuff that's coming out, but it's going to take a long time before all that gets to a point where people are comfortable with it. They, they want to talk to a person that knows what they're doing, but they also want to do things that relate to you. So, you know, you can't see it, but my office here, I have all these like things on my bookshelves and trinkets and books and, you know, stuff that if somebody were to come into my office, they could, they would probably pick one or two things out that they could relate to. And, and visors usually have that inside an office. Well, when you're doing digital, people don't have that to relate to. And you don't have to just talk about everything financial. I mean, I have a, a different podcast I talk about, it's called actually fit finance, fitness, positivity, you know, finance is a portion of it, but I'm talking about fitness and positivity, right? Like that's a two different things that are different aspects of my life that I really enjoy. And if you start talking about things that are more true and authentic to yourself as a human, it's going to come through in your personality and people are going to want to do business with people or business with you because they're going to see, okay, you're more than this one dimensional person. And if, if you have a little bit of personality, you could probably do a little better than, than if you're monotoned, but um, everywhere and, and be yourself. And it doesn't all have to be about finance because, you know, nobody wants to hear again, why a Roth IRA, you know, will save you taxes in the future. You can only talk about that so much. I mean, you can talk about it for five minutes and you're done. You got to start coming up with other material at some point. And, and you can talk, you know, and you also don't have to throw your family in the mix. Um, I made a very conscious decision personally to not really you know, and, and have pictures of my family on there. Everything I'm doing on social media is specific for business um, and to engage with people in this, in this light. So be yourself, be authentic. Don't just be financial and, and go everywhere. And in terms of content, I think you kind of touched on it, really just be yourself, be multifaceted. But there's influencers out there, Graham Stephan, Meet Kevin. I'm sure you, you, you've seen them, you've heard of them who give their opinions on a lot of stuff that's happening in the economy and the financial world. Is that something that you recommend financial advisors do? Is there any red tape there? Well, so absolutely you, you can, right? Um, I think that's a good angle. And I, I think you should, if you're a financial advisor, if you want to create and develop a niche too, that's fine. So, so maybe have a, a podcast or a YouTube channel or even, you know, just a, a playlist dedicated to your niche. And then have another one that talks about other random stuff because you don't know what that trigger is going to be for somebody that's going to want to come and find you or decide to do business with you. Right. So you should do both. Uh, you, you can give an opinion, but you just have to know what to say. It is, it is my opinion, and you have your disclaimer on there, that this is where I, I, I feel this is going. And I had to, be, um, I had to do that stuff. I, was, I did uh, some television in the past, and I would have to say, you know, it is my opinion that this is what's going on. You know, 
as long as you're doing a little bit of a disclaimer there, um, not a little bit, but doing a disclaimer, then you're good. And you could, you could talk about the market. You could talk about anything finance, just making sure people understand that this is, these are your views and you see it, you know, there's disclaimers everywhere. You just have to use them, utilize them correctly. And if you're in the industry, you need to know what those disclaimers are anyway. For example, in medicine, you know, any, any video I make that's giving general medical advice, this is not medical advice. Uh, please consult your physician if you're starting any new medication or for any like changes to your healthcare. Uh, just exactly. kind of general knowledge. I think everybody should practice in their industry uh, and put it out in front so people really know what that disclaimer is. So they don't take your word as, uh, oh my God, the economy's on fire. I need to do this. Uh, everything's opinion-based. That's really helpful. Absolutely. Yep. Uh, Joseph, what is what is working now for financial advisors to generate leads on the internet, other than sending direct mail, other than hosting oh. dinner seminars? What's their best way to generate leads? Yeah, direct mail. Um, also, yeah. by, by the way, email marketing, please don't, don't just buy a list and do email marketing. Uh, email marketing can be effective if you created your list. Okay. Um, what is working? You know, I would say LinkedIn's still working for depending on generality, right? I'm going to give you a generality for what most financial advisors are looking for. Right now, most financial advisors are focused on retiring people. Okay. Well, LinkedIn is a community of business professionals. You can target a specific group of people that are in your niche market on LinkedIn. Don't just send them mass emails. Actually do some what works is if you do some research on something, like let's say you come across a profile, you actually read that person's profile and then you, you message them and say, I saw that you went to so-and-so I did too. I'm class of whatever. That's the type of stuff that works and will get a conversation in the door. Um, a lot of tools to make this artificial where it, it's, it's automated and then people already caught on that it's automated. You got to stay away from those. It's actually just grinding on social and, uh, you know, knocking on door to door. And that's the old school way that people used to do it from, from, uh, advice. Actually, Edward Jones used to do that all the time. They made you walk around a neighborhood and knock on doors. It's kind of the same principle. You're just doing it on LinkedIn. So that's, that's one key area. Another thing I would say, create a group. So, you know, if you create a group, uh, you know, about some, just say your little city, your little town, create a group in that little market and you're the expert. It's the old school uh, networking groups that you used to do, but now you're doing it on a digital level. That's another good way of doing it. Just those two things alone, I think an advisor could have a flourishing uh, digital experience and, and actually grow their business pretty, pretty substantially just from those two things alone. Yeah, that's great advice. And I think the holy grail for financial advisors or anyone in an industry that requires a lot of trust to acquire a client referrals is going to be the biggest thing. So what is a way that financial advisors can get more referrals from their existing clients? Yeah, that's, you're right. That's like the, the Holy grail. Right. Um, so, you know, I think, so if we're going to keep this in the context of, of digital marketing and, and social media, obviously the more you do, I, I think if you hold more, uh, town hall meetings, you know, where you're actually just doing more Q and A's with your current clients, and then you ask your current clients, hey, you know, um, you like coming to these on a weekly basis. Uh, you really enjoy what I have to say. I'm giving you a little bit of a market update. And then I'm answering any financial questions for your, you know, questions people have or throw out in the crowd. Why don't you bring a friend or, you know, to next week's Zoom meeting? I think that's a great way to get the referral because it's, it's not really threatening. Somebody can jo join from their home, um, you know, without having to physically go somewhere. 
Right. And uh, that's that's probably an easy way to grow that referral network without, you know, really making a big commitment. I mean, they can do it in 20 to 30 minutes without having somebody sit somewhere they don't want to sit in. Yeah, that's great advice, especially with these digital webinars and digital seminars. Now it's very easy to send virtual tickets, invite somebody and initiate that. Uh, now, Joseph, talk to me a little bit about Tactive Wealth. How does that platform help financial advisors? What does it do? Yes. Yeah, so. I um, love talking about tactive. So it's, it's a uh, first part is we're, we're actually a platform. So we're the back office administration, middle office administration for independent financial firms, or if somebody's going to leave one of those wirehouses and they want to join tactive as an advisor, they can. So we, we give them the same support as, as a larger firm and we give them access to different custodians, banks, financial products, all that stuff, but we're doing all their ops in the background compliance, all that cool. fun stuff. The, the key differentiators for us is that, um, one, we, we have this robo platform that's, that's creating a lead source for the advisors. And that's one of their biggest challenges is how do I get in front of more people? And then two, we're, we're doing the, the digital marketing experience where we're actually customizing the marketing experience for them. I've seen what other firms and, and companies are doing and they're really not doing enough. Um, they're kind of cookie cuttering, you know, cookie cutter it for everybody where we are actually making it a, a branding experience for the advisor that works with us. Um, I mean, we spend a lot of time actually putting a, a two year growth and business plan, marketing game plan together with them in order to help them grow and scale their practice. And there's some other nuances in there um, like that we're, we're doing just that we know other firms aren't doing like uh, we're doing like a cash equity, um, you know, um, plan that we're giving people. Uh, we have recruiting bonuses, things that other firms are doing. We're trying to encompass all this because my, my whole purpose in this is, you know, what can I do to help the advisor grow, but also bring in some other streams of income maybe they didn't have before. And then how do I give them a little piece of the, the pie if they do come on? I, I'm a firm believer as an entrepreneur that if people are going to join my organization and they're going to help me grow, that I want to help them grow and I want them to have a piece of the action. So I'm willing to give up my equity in order to help bring people onto our platform and to have a piece of it because, you know, one day it may sell. And if that's the case, and advisors have seen this before, platforms grow, they blow up uh, in a good way, they get sold, the owner's really fat and happy, and everybody else is left going, now what? <laughs> and right. I just don't want to do that to advisors that, that help me do this. Very cool. So it makes a lot of sense. If I was a, an independent financial advisor, was trying to decide whether to go with a big firm or do this myself, obviously there's a lot of perks to being with a big firm, right? They're going to generate leads for you, get access to their resources, their tools, their products. And if you're by yourself, you're kind of figuring all that stuff out, piecing it together. What do I do for marketing? What do I do for lead gen? I don't have access to these products. Uh, and you kind of solve that problem for that for them on various fronts, if that's correct. You give them access to products. Yeah. You give them access to marketing materials. You generate leads for them. Sounds like a really empowering service slash software product. Well, well, we're also boutique right now, which which I like. I'm very upfront when anybody comes in and joins the firm. I say, look, we're we're small, but you're going to get a lot of attention, and and I'm personally invested in you. So, um, when you, when you come over, I want you to succeed. Like that is my mission. And, um, you know, I do weekly calls with the advisors asking them what they're doing. What can I help them with? How do I, you know, the stuff I'm doing is to help them out, right? Like the, the more I, I talk and get out there, the better we're going to build the brand. So we're not huge, uh, but we're not, I mean, we, we're not small, but we're, we're a boutique and 
it's a certain advisor that I, I would, I would bring on board. We don't want to bring everybody on board. It's not a, we'll, we'll recruit every single person, let them come to our, our firm. They, we want to make sure that they have growth potential and that they're going to be hungry for that growth, but actually be able to execute on it too. There's a lot of people, they say they want growth, but they don't execute when you start putting a plan together. And that's not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for people that want to work as hard as, as I am for them with me. If you were trying to convince somebody at, say, Merrill Lynch, a financial advisor, to go independent, to come on board with Tactive, what would the arguments you would make be? What would be the pros of, of leaving and going independent? Well, that's too easy. Um, <laughs> first and foremost, you're going to save a lot oh, of money. No. I'm going to reverse it in a second. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, No, it, it, is, it is easy because you, you do save a lot of money. Uh, so it's, it's going to take a certain person to leave a big wirehouse like that or a brokerage firm because you have to have that entrepreneurial spirit because you're leaving the safety net of, of this. You're kind of like, I've heard this term recently, you're a half entrepreneur. It's kind of like owning a franchise. Yeah. You're still an entrepreneur, but you have the safety net, but you're giving 50% of your profits away to the franchise owner, right? Or the, the, the main company. And that's what they're essentially doing. You come, come over to Tactive, you're increasing your revenue overnight. That's easy. Second thing is you're not losing out on products because we have access to all pretty much the same world of products, if not more access to products, because now you can go to almost any different product service provider there is out there right. where you were really kind of set in this, this little hole or this little box before. Um, and then again, the, the growth potential, the hands-on of actually customizing a plan saying, Hey, look, you know, let's actually sit down, put an actional plan together that we feel is achievable. Let's start filling, figuring out your branding strategy. Let's put together your digital marketing, SEO and social media, and let's start putting all these systems together for you because you didn't have that before. So those are, you know, I can go on, but just for the sake of time, those are probably my top, top, top arguments to uh, move away from the brokerage house. I mean, as an entrepreneur, it's an easy decision for me and I'm sure you as well. Now, for the reverse, you know, somebody who's considering going to a big financial institution, what are the pros to doing that? Yeah, yeah, there are pros. Um, I'm, I can't, I can't bag on them all, right? So, kind of like what I said, if you need, if if you building your brand is difficult for you, if you need more structure, like you need somebody to literally just say, "Be here at this time, do this and this and this," that's a wirehouse brokerage house for you. I mean, you still have to go out and you have to recruit but you're having a little bit more of that on your side. Um, and, and again, entrepreneur, uh, being as motivated as most entrepreneurs are, it's not for everybody and that's fine. The other personalities would work better in the brokerage house. You're giving up some income, but you're, you're banking on that brand name to, to help grow your book or of business, right? That's what you're banking on. That makes a lot of sense. Now, as a consumer, I trust, you know, I, I want to trust where, where my money is. I want to know that it's safe. I want to know that if anything happens in the economy, that I'm good, I'll be able to get it out. Uh, and that that person's not going to take it and run away with it. Um, as a consumer, talk to me. Why should I trust an independent financial advisor versus somebody who's with Merrill Lynch or JP Morgan? Let me just give you more of a, a generality about the industry, because this is a question we get a lot. And that's actually, these are great questions, Jay. Um, so, so the days of Bernie Madoff are not gone. Every year I read about some other scumbag doing another scandal that steals a bunch of people's money. That is out there. What you have to figure out is who actually has access to your money. What type of access do they have? 
And, you know, um, it, so there's a difference. The Merrill Lynch's, you know, independents, a lot of times the, the custody of your money, you're not writing a check to that individual advisor. If you're writing a check to the person or you're writing a check to their business, that to me would be a, hold on, let's take a pause moment because that's what Bernie was doing. You were writing it to his hedge fund. You were writing it to him, his company. When you work with an independent, like we work with custodians like Charles Schwab, uh, we work with Goldman Sachs, your, your money actually goes into those big institutions and banks. The only things we are allowed to do with that money is trade it and, and pull our fees out. And if those are the only two things we can do, your money is, is protected and it's safer than what it would be if you're writing a check to, you know, Joe Gissy, right? Or, or writing a check to that advisor. So it doesn't matter if you're independent or you're with the wirehouse, as long as you know it's going to that major institution and not to that small company, your money is going to be much more protected. Yeah, that's insightful. I didn't know any of that. Uh, so you should be looking for someone who's licensed, obviously, and you should be sending those checks or those wires to a financial institution like Charles Schwab, who's actually holds the money. And you said the yep. only thing that a financial advisor can legally do is to trade the assets in that account or to pull out their fees. So you need, I guess you need to make sure you know what their fees are. Uh, and do they need any approval or anything to trade any of those assets? Uh, Pre-approval, talk to me a little bit about that. What if they just trade it all for their own company or for something to, to benefit them? Yeah, well, so other thing, the big term that's gone around is called fiduciary, where you know yeah. you have to put your clients' needs first. A lot of independents are fiduciaries. Um, a lot of people in in the wirehouses may not be fiduciaries, so you you might want to look into to that as well um, and ask what what hat somebody's wearing um, when they're talking to you about that. So they're not going to trade into you know their companies now. Practices with a lot of the wirehouses that I found disgusting, <laughs> I'm just going to say it, is that you know they'll put you in a portfolio that does generate fees on top of fees on top of fees for that big company. Mm -hmm. Independents, they're not set up structurally that way. Typically, there might be some independent firms are, that are, but they're not putting you into a model that then invests into the you know, company's own mutual funds. Right. So and I'll, I'll just give you this example. And this is when it comes to fees, this happens all the time. The advisor fee might be low and you're saying, wow, what a, what a nice guy he's charging me or a girl, you know, they're charging me this low fee. And then they put you into what's called a model. So then there's a model fee, which is very, uh, you know, reasonable. We do that too. We have models, but then inside that model, there's a mutual fund that the company owns and makes money off of. And, and that mutual fund might charge them two or 3%. So the advisory fee might be 50 basis points or 0.5%. And then there's a model fee of 0.5%. So now you're paying 1%. You didn't know it. And then you're being charged another two, 3% on the back end. And by the time you're done, you're being charged, you know, three and a half, four percent And you didn't even know, and it wasn't even disclosed to you. And that's, that's really the, the issue that I take with some of these larger, you know, wirehouses or larger firms that do this stuff. And I've, I've pointed it out to people that have come in uh, and sat down with me and we've done portfolio checkups for them, especially when it comes to fees it's unfortunate. It's the way the industry works. And you just need to find an advisor that can walk you through everything. And if you can find an advisor that can walk you through everything and can say, you know, look, if the advisor fees a little higher, but all their backend fees that are hidden are, are not, and you're still, and you're paying a little less. I've, I've had people walk out because they thought my advisory fee was high, but I've mm -hmm. tried to show them, I go net of all this other stuff. 
you're paying less, but they couldn't get over. Well, my other person's only charging half a percent. You're charging right. one. I'm, I'm not charging double, <laughs> but that's what they think. It's a perception thing too. And it's unfortunate because there's so many different layers in the, in the industry. Can you be both a financial advisor and a fiduciary? I thought those were separate things. Yeah. You can. Yeah. Right? Oh, no, no. Most, most, uh, I would say most independent financial advisors are fiduciaries. They take the fiduciary hat off when they start talking about insurance or they start talking about commissionable products, then the hat has to come off. Um, but for the most part, when they're talking about the investment, so when they're talking about investment portfolio or managing your portfolio, that's usually where the fiduciary hat is worn the most. Well, do you recommend that most financial advisors get a, a fiduciary license? I think Tony Robbins in his recent book, Money Master the Game, shed a lot of light on fiduciaries and pointed a lot of people in that direction. So I'm wondering if it helps financial advisors in their career to, to go ahead and do that. And I don't, I don't even know what's involved in getting a fiduciary license yeah. or becoming one, but shed some yeah, light on that. You know it's, it, it just depends. Um, if you're working for a larger institution and you're selling products, that's commissionable. You're, you're not a fiduciary because obviously your commissions are, are it, it's, it's kind of funny how it's laid out. You're, you're incentivized on these products because you're making these commissions on them or sales incentive on them. So you're not a fiduciary at that point. Usually if you're charging an assets under management fee, that's when they charge like a 1% fee. Typically it's kind of the average now. Um, on managing your portfolio and they move things around at different times. That's really a tip, what you typically see with a fiduciary CPAs or fiduciaries. Um, you know, yes, I would, I would, I mean, as I'm a fiduciary. So as, as a fiduciary, I would agree that I think that fiduciaries really do have the intent of putting their clients in the best possible portfolio or best possible situation. And, and if you're, and you want them to grow now, are there bad fiduciaries out there? Of course. There are people that are doing things, you know, um, I, I would, I wouldn't say just, just having the fiduciary license makes you, you know, an angel because let's say that somebody comes in with a million dollars and let's say they actually need an insurance product or they need an annuity or whatever. They need a product for their plan. Yeah. And I just want to hold on to that million dollars because I'm making 1%. Well, did I do my job really if I didn't suggest the other stuff that they needed based on their individual risk, their goals, their objectives, what they want for their lives? No. And there are, you know, financial professionals out there. They won't mention anything else about those products, even if they're not an expert. Even before I had other licenses, I used to recommend um, to people I worked with, I go, look, you know, you're going to have to use some of this money and, and put it over here in this product. I can refer you over to a couple of people, but I, I, you know, can't. I can't sell it to you. And I may lose some commission off there, not commission. I would lose some of my income based on that, that uh, money, but that's the reality of the business. And that's what it should do, but that's not what happens all the time. Yeah. It's an interesting, interesting business for sure. Uh, so Joseph, a couple final questions here. Who is the best fit for Tactive Wealth? Who should be thinking about coming to use a service like yours? Yeah. So, well, two types of people, right? We, 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 cater to consumers. So individual investors that are looking for um, more tactical and active strategies, so strategies that are moving in and out of the market. Mm. Um, that's, that's for us, you know, you would want to come use our, our robo platform for that. If they just want something that they can set it, forget it. Uh, and then eventually if they want to work with an advisor, they can connect with an advisor on our platform. But if they're just trying to figure something out in the wealth management space, like the other robos didn't cut it because they were, um, you know, too much 
going with the index or, you know, just they didn't have a good portfolio experience with an advisor, then you'd want to use our, our wealth tech, uh, you know, robo platform. For the financial advisor, you know, the advisor that is uh, either looking to go independent or is already independent, and they're just not, I mean, look, every other firm can tell you they're doing the back office and that's fine. Everybody has problems with the back office or they have good things about the back office. So that's not, not really a point of differentiation. But if you're looking for real growth, if you're looking for somebody that is actually going to work with you and you're not just a number and you know you, you have a, a pretty good book of business, you can put some money to marketing because you do need to put some money to marketing, yes. but you're going to do it in a, a cost-effective way. It's not one of these methods where the old method was, just throw another five, ten thousand dollars at your marketing just so you get a higher number of people in the door. That's not what we do. We're very focused and we're hyper focused and targeted on how you spend your dollars. And you want to put these systems together and you want to think outside the box of how you engage with people. That would be a good fit for us, uh, for that advisor to come over with us. We put a growth plan together. If they want to be a part of something uh, and they want to share some equity with, with a company that's growing that would be a good fit. And we want them to feel like they're all in with us. Every advisor that's on board with me right now, they're all in. And, and uh, you feel it when we get together. And it's a group of people that are, are trying to help each other out to succeed. So we're, we're, it's almost like a community where you, know, you don't always get that with some of these other firms. Oh, that's awesome. And I hope uh, financial advisors or financial advisors of all types that are listening to this, think about going over there and checking out Active wealth. Now, some final questions for you, Joseph. I guess the the last question: What are some books uh, in the finance space that you recommend that every consumer read? One for me that I mentioned earlier was Tony Robbins' Money Master the Game, a long one but super valuable. Uh, shed some light on a lot of things. So, what are some of those books for you that you suggest people pick up? Yeah. Um, so, so this isn't necessarily. There's two books that come to mind. Uh, first one was Greatest Salesman in the World by Ogmandino. Hmm. That to me is just not only it's a, a book about um, just, it's a book that teaches discipline. Um, you know, it's, one of it is persist till you succeed, um, which is which is just a really good principle, but it's a, it's a good uh, motivational book. You know, Tony Robbins is a good motivational speaker. Love Tony Robbins, by the way. And um, so that was like the first book that really changed my entrepreneurial, you know, mindset a little bit. Um, made me get some discipline. You know, that was pretty good. Um, it, for consumers, you know, The Richest Man in Babylon, you know, that's an old, old book, but it teaches you fundamentally how to save money. And they teach you how to, that you should invest. And they teach you about, you know, active, passive investments. Um, I think that's a good consumer, consumer book um, to start. I mean, from an advisor perspective, I like the sales side. From a consumer perspective, I like, you know, how you actually budget your money and realize that it is a long-term game. And it's, there's, there's really no shortcuts. We, we keep thinking that there's a bunch of shortcuts, but there really isn't. And, and you have to have discipline with that. So I think those are two great books that, that I would recommend you know, for anybody. And last question. I, I was going to end on that one, but I have to know your point of view, your perspective on what's happening in the economy right now. Are you positive? Are you negative? What do you think is going to happen? Uh, so the, the crystal ball question, right? So yeah. let me, let me give you, I, I think of things a little differently than most people. Okay. So, um, I understand that we're in a tough economic cycle and I'm not a, I'm not a doomsday person. Actually just, just to, did an article about this. Um, I'm a, I'm an optimist. I'm a huge optimist and I'm a firm believer that no matter what challenges we're going through as an economy, this is when innovation 
happens. This is to me, the greatest opportunity of our lifetime, because I keep hearing about how bad the economy is supposed to be getting. Yes. Anytime you have the worst economy, you have the biggest successes. So for me, I'm really excited. I'm going really deep and hard on advisors and making sure that they're capitalizing on this in a way of, well, how do we position ourselves and how do we make sure that, you know, we can help people navigate this through and look, the market is the market. It's going to be super choppy. We're going to have these huge volatile swings and that's going to persist well into the future just because of algorithms and AI and everything else that's going on with our world and things are speeding up so quickly. So I don't think volatility is going to go away anytime soon. Are we going to have another bull market like we did in the past 12, 13 years? Of course we are. It's going to happen. But I'm optimist. I'm an optimist about this. I believe this is where opportunities are actually created and, and you can really capitalize on this if you can put your mind in the right place and you can position yourself correctly. Well said, Joseph. Uh, so for listeners who are watching this and want to follow you and see what you're doing in your personal journey and in your business, where's the best place to do that? Yeah. I mean, I, I literally created josephkissy.com for that reason. Um, just because, you know, if you're a financial advisor, you want to reach out to me, you can go directly there. I have some, uh, resources and I'm doing some podcasting specifically for advisors. And then if you're a consumer and you wanted to reach out to me or your individual business owner, um, you can reach out to me th there too. I have blogs and then I am now all over social media. So feel free to uh, connect with me and direct message me and all that fun stuff. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm there now. Cool. I will link all that stuff in the show notes or the description. So all I have to do is go click and find Joseph online. And Joseph, thank you so much for spending some time with me. I learned a lot about financial advisors, that industry, and I know our listeners did too. So thank you again. I appreciate it, Jay. Thanks for having me on.